So we've been studying for the past, uh, I guess, 10 or 11 weeks from the book of Proverbs, and we've learned we've learned a lot of different lessons from the book of Proverbs, and there's just really so many more things that we could learn. But as you know, we've talked about friends, and we've talked about um, uh, alcohol, adulterous women, and the Bible, uh, just so many things. We know, of course, the book was written to provide words to the wise, okay, words to the wise. Tonight we're going to end our study. Uh, if you turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 1, uh, he, he, uh, the writer says something pretty interesting, I think. He says, the Proverbs of Solomon, uh, uh, the son of David, king of Israel, to whom wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instructions of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and the riddles. T tonight we're going to turn our attention to the riddles. Okay, found in the book of Proverbs. And uh, they're, they're not going to be like the riddles that you and I hear today. I read some, some riddles today. Let's see, well, I, I was going to try to remember one of them, but I already forgot what it was. But it wasn't in here. But anyway, the riddles are not like ours in that uh, they would maybe make you laugh. They're designed to make you think, okay, to make you ponder. And, and then I had to look up the word enigma. What is an enigma, okay? And so I went to the, the big dictionary, and I found that an enigma uh, is to speak darkly from a tale or a story. All right? It's a dark saying in which something is concealed under the obscure language and, and are under an obscure question. And then it says it's a riddle, something containing a hidden meaning which is proposed to be guessed, anything inexplicable in to an observer, such as the means by which anything is affected, the motive of a course of conduct, the cause of any phenomenon. So there you go. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of words in it. But an enigma is just a, a, it's, it's, it's something being taught, clothed or cloaked in some kind of different words, okay? So that's what we're going to take a look at tonight. Uh, according to the preacher's commentary, of proverbs that begin with clusters of questions may be classified as a riddle. So sometimes riddles are, are they look, look like a group of questions coming together. We find this in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29 and 30. Also in chapter 30, verse 4. Uh, some of the riddles contain numericals, uh, numbers, okay? Uh, and so they may be cloaked in some type of a numerical saying, such as found in chapter 6 and chapter 30 uh, of, of Proverbs. So we're going to begin by taking a look at a, a number of what, what they call picturesque riddles found uh, from King Azur. King Azur, found in Proverbs chapter 30. So if you want to flip over to Proverbs chapter 30, you're going to take a look at these, okay? Uh, these are going to be these are going to be uh, verses that uh, contain observations of common things in groups of four or more. Okay, so there's going to be three, three, four or five things that talk about a particular topic. Okay, 
For instance, that, uh, in this study, okay, we shall uh, consider the numerical sands of King Zur, uh, first posing them in the form of the actual riddle that was written in. Uh, for example, uh, what are four classes of evildoers? That's the question. What are four classes of evildoers? We turn over to uh, Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 11. Okay, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 11, and we read, there is a, new, there is a generation that, that curses his father. So, all right, so he says, uh, one, of those thing, one of those things that are in those classes of evildoers is a person who despises his parents. Okay, uh, and verse 11 says, who curses their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Okay. So that's that's in in this riddle of four four more things. This is one of the things that is an evil doer. Uh, another thing that is an evil doer are those that bl uh, bl uh, that are blind to their own faults. A person who is blind to his own faults, and that's that's found in chapter thirty, verse twelve. It says there's a generation that is pure in its own eyes. So uh, this person who might be talking about himself or herself, things like, well, I'm a good person. I believe in God. I, I trust in his word. And, and I'm doing the best I can. And I'm better than Joe Lowe over there. And in his own eyes, he is pure, right? But, but in reality, what's going on here? He said, in reality, he said, uh, but, but, he's not, but he has not been washed of his own filth. He's not been washed of his own filth. In, in uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2, we read, Who may justify themselves, but will be judged by the Lord. Okay? So here's this person who stands up and says, Hey, I'm a good person. I, I believe in God. Uh, I, I do this. I do that. I help the poor. I help our kids. But in his own eyes, he lifts himself up. But in the eyes of God, he's, he's not clean. He's not a clear person. Uh, another another person, another thing that falls into this classification of evildoers evil is a person who is arrogant. A person who is arrogant, found in verse 13 of chapter 30. It, there is a generation. He says, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. So, again, here's this person who, is, in his own eyes, in his own eyes, he is, he is an arrogant person. He's an uppity person. But he's clearly condemned of that style of life. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 12, also in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 4. So we find other, other Proverbs written about this same type person, and it says this person who thinks he's, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's lofty in his own eyes, he's of high esteem in the eyes of God, he's not. He's going to be judged. He's going to be judged for that, for that uh, thinking. Uh, and then he says, as, as a final group in, in that verse, he says, those who consume the poor. And we've talked about this before. God has always, in his uh, wisdom, had a very special place in his heart for the poor. As you recall, even in the Old Testament, there were special provisions made uh, for those who had fields and harvested the fields. They were to leave and not glean the corners. Right? so that the poor people would have a place to come to get the food and eat. But he says, for those who consume the poor, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 14, is, is still 
talking about the same group of people who are evildoers. He says, there is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives. They devour the poor from off the earth and the, and the needy from among men. So, so this is the first, first riddle we talk about tonight. Uh, and, and basically, he says, this, such, these people are such uh, that are indicative of an evil generation and, and are evidenced by some of, the, uh, some of those who are, even in the New Testament, who are living in the last days. If you turn over to Second uh, uh, Timothy, Paul was writing to the young man Timothy. He had something to say about those, uh, about people who are living in the last days. And, and by the way, who are living in the last days? We are. We are living in the last days. These, these are the last days. But look at Timothy chapter uh, lost my place, chapter 3. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, the first five verses. Uh, Paul would write to Timothy. He says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Ooh, we've already talked about that one, right? And this group in here of people who did... Uh, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, uh, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying the power, denying its power. And from such people, Paul would tell Timothy, you need to stay away from these folks. Stay away from these folks. Why? Because they will do nothing but lead you to the bad side. They will lead you to the dark side. They will lead you away from the truth. So let's take a look at another riddle we found in there, okay? And, and the question is, what things, just, you might, I might ask you this question. What can you think of that is never satisfied? That is never satisfied. Okay. So that's the question, and here comes the answer found in the same chapter, Proverbs chapter 30, uh, verse 2, verse 15. I lost, I turned the, turned over to Timothy and lost my place in Proverbs. Okay. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 15, uh, says that the leech has two daughters, give and give, okay? So his question is, is what kind of things are never satisfied? Well, we know that a leech is one of those things that would never be satisfied. Uh, one of those things, animals that they used to put on people to, what, drain the bad blood out of them? And they would just grow and grow and grow and grow until they were never satisfied. Uh, this is also talked about in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5 and verse 10. He's uh, a leech is depicted as something that is insatiable, has insatiable greed. Uh, they're never, ever satisfied. So that's one thing that's never satisfied. How about something else? How about the grave? It says the grave, or Sheol, the Hebrew word for the dead, can never be filled. Look at verse 16 of chapter 30. Uh, uh, I didn't finish verse 15. It says, There are three things that are never satisfied, 
four never say enough. And, and he, he lists them. And the, the next one he talks about is the grave itself. Uh, and, and we know, you know, you look at the, the, the grave is, is never, never completely filled, right? People keep dying. People keep getting buried. There's just no, it looks like it's never going to be satisfied. Uh, look, if you were to look just one, a couple of chapters earlier, chapter 27, verse 20 uh, of uh, Proverbs, Verse 20 of chapter 27 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of men are, are never satisfied. He didn't, he didn't particularly list that thing, but you can, but as you think about that, something that's never satisfied, the eyes of men, right? Uh, might be one of those things too. How about, how about this one? A, a barren womb, okay? A woman who desperately wants to conceive and give birth. So look at verse 16 of chapter 30. And he mentions that. He says, uh, of, the, of the three things that are never satisfied, four never say enough, is the grave and a barren womb. And, and you go back and think about in the Old Testament, think about Rachel. Uh, she wanted a child so bad that she would approach Jacob and she would say, give me children or else I die. Why? She wanted a child so very bad. Found in Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. Another thing to think about this insatiable, something that's never satisfied, is how about the earth itself and considering rain? You know, we've had a little bit of rain here recently this week, and I remember coming home a couple of times, and the, and the can we still say bar ditches? I, in West Texas, we used to say the bar ditches. I never did know, well, but the ditches alongside the road. Uh, had water standing in them. The fields had water standing in them. That was two or three days ago. I came home today. There's no water in the ditches. There's no water standing in the fields. The, the, what happens? The, the earth, the ground soaks up the water. And in a few days, it's like it's never satisfied. It can never actually get enough. So another, another illustration or example of insatiable greed. Here, here's another one to think about. What about a fire? You, you take a fire, as long as you continue to feed fuel to the fire, it'll just keep burning, right? It's never going to be satisfied. It's never going to have enough. Look at verse 16 again. It says, the earth is not satisfied with water, and fire never says enough. Never says enough. So as long as fire has fuel, as long as it has, uh, has oxygen to burn, as long as it's got something to ignite it, it will just keep burning, keep burning, and never burn out. So, those are some of the things that he talks about as, uh, and he, he calls this the riddle, things that are never satisfied. Uh, another example he gives of a riddle, he says, uh, and, and I think this is kind of neat, he says, and I would ask you this question, as you think about God's creation, what, what do you see in God's creation that would cause you to wonder? To, to, to be amazed at, okay? And so we find the answer to that in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 18 and 19. He says, there are three things which are too wonderful. Now, this, is, this is Solomon, okay? He says, there are, there are some things in God's universe that are too wonderful for me to even believe, okay? They are just amazing, okay? And the, one of the things he talks about, he says, is the way of an eagle in the air. The way of an eagle in the air. Well, I, 
I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to watch uh, e eagles fly. We don't have a lot of eagles in this part of the country, but <clears throat> but I remember on on our on our mine and Debbie's 30th anniversary, we went to Alaska, and on Alaskan cruise, and in Alaska, there's there are lots of eagles. I don't know if you knew that or not, but there's a lot of eagles in Alaska. You can just see them flying, soar, and, and they're beautiful to look at. But but they fly with such beautiful grace and such wonderful speed. And and to look at them just like they just floor, float or soar in the air and, and with no effort whatsoever. But they, they don't leave a trail. You know, once they've flown by, they're gone and there's nothing there for you to behold. But he said that's one of the things that mystifies Solomon is the, the way of an eagle. He says, another thing that mystifies me is the way of a serpent on a rock. That might surprise you just a little bit, the way of a serpent on a rock. But think about that. Uh, you, take, you take a slithering snake on a rock, right? He leaves no trail, not on the rock, right? <clears throat> you can't tell where he's been, all right? You can't tell anything about it. He's just gone. But you take that same serpent and you put him on sand, and you can tell exactly where he's been, right? Because he leaves the trail. And Solomon said, that causes those things like that cause me to wonder just a little bit. To be a whole part of God's creation. He says another thing that, that causes him to be amazed is the way of a ship in the sea. Uh, we don't, I, I haven't seen a lot of, of sailing ships, big sailboats. I, I see them on television sometimes and see them in ads. But I've always thought one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life was a sailboat fully rigged and, and out on the ocean. And, and noticing how it, it is, its movement is by the air. There's vert, if it's, you know, as long as it doesn't have any, its motor running, it's all driven by the air. It makes no sound whatsoever. But yet it moves, it just moves to wherever it's going. A, a beautiful thing to behold. And yet, after the sailboat is gone and passed out of view, and you look, you cannot tell where that sailboat's been, right? It, it, it does not leave a trail. Does, it, after the waves, what little waves it makes are gone. There's no evidence whatsoever that the sailboat has actually been there. Another thing he's amazed about, this is kind of interesting to you, thinking about who Solomon was. He says, the way of an adulterous woman amazes him. He says how she can commit adultery and then claim innocence. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20. He says, there is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. I have done no wickedness. I've not done anything wrong. Okay? Um, and he kind of ties this to, these, to the verses uh, prior to that, verses 18 and 19, talking about the way of the eagle, the way of the serpent, the on the rock and the ship at sea. Um, uh, um, you think about this adult woman, she, she maneuvers, she toys with the person's affection and, and attractions like a man or a virgin, but like the eagle serpent in the ship, believing she leaves nothing of substance behind. She's done no wrong. Uh, so these are five, five images uh, that illustrate the ultimate wonder of adult that claims innocent. So take a look at this next riddle. The next riddle it says, uh, what what are things that you might think about that would cur that would cause tor turmoil? Okay, that would cause turmoil. 
And the first thing he talks about is a servant when he reigns. Chapter 30, verses 21 and 22 says, Four things in the earth is perturbed. Yes, four things it cannot bear up. And the first thing he mentions is for a servant when he reigns. Well, think about that just for a moment. That whole picture doesn't make sense, does it? A servant reigning? A servant is supposed to what? Serve, right? What if you change positions with the servant? What if you move the servant into the master's house and move the master out where the servant was, right? How would that work? Well, the servant, uh, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work at all because he would become arrogant and he would probably be very overbearing. Uh, the Believer's Bible Commentary says he would probably be drunk with his new position. In other words, he would probably take out a lot of bad stuff on the new servant, right? Because now he is the master. He said that's, that's something that's going to cause a lot of problem in anybody's household. Uh, think about uh, Jeroboam when he becomes king, begins to rule. Was he the, and I can't remember, was he the, 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 the southern kingdom king, Jeroboam? The real Jeroboam and Jeroboam. But, but remember what he asked the question. He says, how did my father rule? And they said, well, the people weren't real happy with him because he was pretty hard on the people. He taxed the people. And he said, well, you think that was bad. Let me show you what bad's going to be, right? He said the weight of his thumb was going to be worse than what his father did. So here's a guy who should not have been king who made who is made king, and now he's 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 ruling, and he's going to make things bad for a lot of people. It would be the same way in a person's house if the master and the servant were to switch places. Another example he gives uh, of of uh, of something that just doesn't fit, that doesn't work well together, is a fool when he is filled with food. Verse twenty-two says, for a servant when he reigns, and a fool when he is filled with food. You have to think about that just for a moment. How, how, why would that be such a... a I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with a person being filled with food, right? But what kind of turmoil might be caused by a fool when he's filled with food? Well, now he's comfortable, right? Now he's got all he wants, so he's... he's his prosperity causes him to be more insolent, perhaps, than ever before. And so if, if you think he was foolish before he ate, you give him a full tummy, and then you watch what he does now, right? He's going to even become more foolish. The next one is kind of interesting, too. He says another, another, yes. I'm sorry, Doug, I didn't hear all that you said, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, as we stop and think about the, the, what has been given to us in, in the form of Christian as God's children, we have these special blessings, and sometimes we, we hold those over to people of the world who don't have those blessings, maybe. And so, and and by doing that, of course, we we uh, we we would make the master, in our case, Jesus, uh, very unhappy with us. 
if we were to do that. Another example he gives is, is a hateful woman when she is married. A hateful woman when she is married. Look at verse 23 of that same chapter. He says, a hateful woman when she is married and uh, <clears throat> is going to be one of those individuals who are is going to be something that's out of place. So when you think about that just for a moment, he says, uh, when a hateful woman finally gets a husband, uh, because I, I'm, my, I'm thinking perhaps someone who is a hateful person might have a bit of a difficult time finding a husband in the first place. I mean, would th guys think about that? Is that somebody you would want to date and to court and to perhaps marry and bring into your life? A hateful woman? Probably not. Uh, so uh, he says that a hateful woman, she is, when she does reach that status, when she gets her husband, how is she going to treat other people, okay? Her wretched disposition would normally have, uh, have kept her single, but she finally lands a husband by some fluke accident, and then she becomes imperious and haughty and flaunting, uh, taunting those who are still unmarried. She she just becomes unbearable to live with to anybody else who's not married. Because what? Now she has a husband, right? She has finally got the husband. The last example he gives of this is a maidservant who succeeds his mistress. A maidservant who succeeds her, her mistress. I'm sorry. All right, verse 23 of chapter 30. It says a hateful woman when she is married and a maidservant who succeeds her mistress. Um, you don't have to think very hard to think of an example of this. Go back, if you will, to um, Abraham, okay? Just think back about Abraham. Whenever God promised Abraham a son, right? And he and uh, Sarah, she, they were way up in age, right? 90-something years old or 100 years old. And he didn't have a son, so Sarah says, well, I can fix this, right? So she says, I'm going to give you my handmaiden, okay? Is that Hagar? Hagar, yeah. So, so Hagar, Abraham has a, a son with Hagar. Now, how did Hagar treat Sarah? Sarah was the, she was the, the head of the house, right? She was Abraham's wife. But now Sarah has the, uh, Sarah, Hagar has the child. Sarah still doesn't have the child. And think about how badly she treated her. So there's a maidservant who succeeded her mistress, okay? Uh, who now rules over those who were once her equals, okay? She doesn't know how to act with refinement and grace, but is coarse, rude, and vulgar. Finally, you remember what happens. Sarah says, put her out, right? Especially after Sarah has her child, right? He says, get rid of her. She's not, she's, her son is not the promised child. So she said, get rid of him. So he says, if any, if any of these events took place, he said, they're going to create social chaos. They're, it's not going to be a good fit. It's going to be a terrible situation. And so uh, he just points those things out. So he gives another set of riddles here. And this next set of riddles is kind of designed to depict wise behavior. Wise behavior. So some of the things we've looked at so far are not so wise, right? And some of those things are bad. He says, now I want you to take a look and think about some things that are quite different than that. Look, if you will, at verse, uh, verses 24 and 25 of chapter 30. 
He says, there are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. And, and the first thing he points out, of course, and we've talked about this before, is the ant. We've talked about the ant in other uh, Proverbs. Obviously, an ant is not very strong, right? You stop and think about a little tiny ant. is not going to be very strong. But, but at the same time, you've also seen ants carry objects that are bigger than they are, right? Headed toward their den or wherever. He says, but the thing about an ant that makes it so wise, it, it is so smart that what it does, it stores up food in the summertime for the winter, okay? It prepares for the days ahead when it can't go out and find food. Maybe no food is available. They're not very strong, but they're also very, very wise. Uh, in chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 of Proverbs, there's, there's, there is a lesson here for the sluggard. And we've talked about those who are lazy and those who wouldn't work uh, in, the, in our study of Proverbs in the past. So look over at chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. He says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Okay, here's an example. Consider her ways and be wise which, having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provide her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard, when you arise from your sleep? Okay, so he says uh, that the, the lesson we should learn from the end is be wise. Get up and do your work when you can do your work. Don't be a sluggard. Don't be lazy. And, and probably another lesson we could learn from that is the fact that we should plan ahead. We should plan ahead. We should prepare for those uh, those days, uh, you know, ahead when maybe maybe we're sick or if 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 you happen to be in a job, say in construction, you know as well as I do that there are days in construction when you can't work, right? There are days the weather's bad or whatever, and so you have to be prepared for days like that and and lay up in store for those days when you can't work. So. Be like the ant, be industrious, work hard, and, and be prepared for those days. Uh, another example he gives uh, of something that's very small but also very wise, he talks about a rot badger. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't know what a rot badger is. Uh, I, I would, it's, it's some kind of a small little animal that lives in the cliffs, okay? And so it says uh, they're feeble. Uh, but they make their home in the crags or in the cracks or the crevices of the cliff. Now, how smart is that? Well, it's very smart. If you're trying to escape a wild animal or something that's trying to eat you, right? If you can drop over the edge of the cliff and hide in the crack of the rocks, I'd say that you're a pretty smart thing. So he's, he makes wise choices in deciding where he's going to live, where he lives and where he makes his home. Another example he gives of, of uh, something small and wise, he references the locust, okay? He says, if you, if you think about locusts, they, they don't have a king. They don't have, they don't have a ruler. They don't really have a leader, right? But yet when they advance, they advance in ranks, okay? Uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27. He says, the locusts have no king, yet they, they, they all advance in ranks. Um, Janice t mentioned to me just before class started I said something about the cold weather and she said well you know I'm from Kansas and so she's used to cold weather but, uh, but I also know something else about Kansas and Oklahoma and Missouri and that was those states that, that were bombarded by locusts at times 
and the crops were just eaten up, okay? Uh, we know that in, in, in biblical times, whenever uh, Moses is facing Pharaoh, one of the plagues that he brings upon the land of Egypt are the locusts that eat up everything. And you can, you can, you can just imagine a, 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 an army of locusts approaching that is so dense that it just it blocks out the sky, right? It just blocks out the sun. And yet they don't have anybody giving orders, but they do fly in ranks. It's, they approach like a well-drilled army, okay? And the idea that we probably should get from that is the idea that whenever we work in unison with others, we can accomplish a whole lot more. I think there's a good lesson for the church right here, too. Individually, we can each do something, right? And individually, we can all uh, find something to do in the church for the good of the kingdom. We call it kingdom work, right? But what happens when we, we combine our efforts? We can, we can do a whole lot more, right? We're going to have a door-knocking exercise in a couple of weeks where we're going to go out in the community and I, I promise you, because I've seen this happen a couple of times, if enough of us show up that morning to do that work, we can knock that work out in no more than a couple of hours, right? Because in working together, we can accomplish so much more. And, and that's kind of what you see those locusts doing whenever they approach in, in the form that they do. The next example he gives, he says, is, is, is found in verse 28. He says, the spider skillfully wraps, uh, grasps with his hands and is in king's palaces. Uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing here because I think newer translations don't have the word spider. Does anybody have a newer translation? What does it say? Lizard. Yes, there you go. A lizard. And, and, and their, their, their reference there is it's maybe something like a gecko. All right? You seeing well... Don't think about the little gecko on television, about you know that that guy. But geckos are able to kind of stand up on their back feet and use their little, little front paws together, right? Okay, so they they skillfully grasp with their hands. Uh, and where would you find geckos? Well, it says in kings' palaces. They live wherever they want to, right? They live wherever they want to. If if my wife were in here, she's not. Uh, I would tell you the story about when she went to Hawaii. Uh, as a senior in high school, she stayed with some friends in, in, who owned a home on Maui, I think on Maui. And, and she and her, her little friend uh, were sleeping in the living room, and, and they, have, they have lots of geckos in Hawaii, okay? Lots of little lizards. And then one of those little lizards got loose in the house, okay? And they didn't sleep on the floor anymore. They were too scared to. Uh, but uh, the, the point is, you, you find those little geckos everywhere, right? I, I find them here in the church building quite often, you know, just running around like they own the place. A gecko could live in king's palaces if it chooses to. Uh, the, the, the example we get from them is they skillfully persevere, okay? Okay, so finally, the last riddle we want to look at or we'll think about is this idea of and Solomon asks him, asks this other question. He says, "What things can you think of that are that you can, would consider as being majestic, majestic, something, something that's just really awesome?" Look at verses 29 and 30 of that chapter. It says, "There are three things that are majestic in pace, 
Yet four things which are stated in what? The first thing he mentions is the lion, which is the, the mightiest among all beasts, right? The, the king of the jungle. And you stop and think about, you know, the, the lion and how, how he protects his lionesses, right? He protects his, his, his territory. He watches over it. And to see him walk around with, I guess I'm thinking about the Lion King. I don't know. Because I haven't seen a real lion except in the zoo, I think, ever. But how stately they are and how proud they are and how, how they walk upright. And they're just absolutely something to, to, to behold. Uh, you, you could just kind of see uh, the pride that they have uh, in being the, the king, the, the king of all the beasts right there. The next thing he talks about is a, is a greyhound. And there again, we a newer translation would, would say what? A strutting rooster, yeah. So th this there's a little little uh, discrepancy in exactly what this interpret, interpretation is. The actual Hebrew word means girded at the loins, girded at the loins. Okay. So, but either way, uh, do any of you know anyone who's adopted a, a greyhound from the racetrack? D Daniel, you do, don't you? Yeah, because Daniel. Had, had greyhounds, didn't he? Yeah, and a greyhound, if, if you watch a greyhound walk, they are just, they are a very proud animal, and they walk very stately, and you, you can just say they, they are in charge of what's going on. A strutting rooster, uh, I remember as a kid, we had a banty rooster, okay? Well, we had chickens, and I was a kid growing up, we had, we had a, a, a Rhode Island red rooster, and then we had a banty rooster. And, and I want to tell you something. A little a banty rooster is not very big, right? But guess who ruled the chicken cow, the chicken coop? It was the banty, not the not the big Rhode Island red rooster. That was that was four or five times the size of that banty. But that banty, he was the, you know, he was the he was the big the big dog, or, or the big chicken, I guess you would in the hen house today. So whether you're thinking about a lion and the stately way it walks or a greyhound the way it struts around or, or, a, or a strutting rooster, you, you think about these, the, the way God created these, these are majestic. He mentions two other. He says a male goat um, and, and the picture of a, of a noble male goat bearing as it strides at, at the head of the flock. Uh, he, he marches with his head uh, uh, guarding the flock in a stately manner, conducting uh, them with the, with great courage and resolution, being ready to fight for his, his his flock, being ready to guard them, guide them whatever way gets wild beasts or men or anything like that. And then finally, he mentions uh, the king with his troops and how a king will lead in battle. He leads, and he says that's a majestic thing to say. So. These are the lessons we learn from, uh, from Proverbs. The thing about the illustration from the riddles um, is they, they too are designed to impart human uh, behavior, help us to understand human behavior and moral truth. Uh, and that's the kind of things we find in the book of Proverbs. They're given for our learning, for our admonition. We find from Romans chapter 15, verse 4. And keep this in mind. He says, all these these chapters, these Old Testament books, are given by inspiration of God, and they're profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I've enjoyed the study with this group. I will be moving out next Wednesday night into another group, and we'll have somebody else coming for the next.